The portion that we are looking at um, following on from last week is uh, we're in John 13. We're looking at the portion from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Um, we're looking at two sections effectively and we're looking at the prediction, the Lord Jesus's prediction, first of his betrayal and then secondly of his denial first by Judas and then by Peter. It's a sad portion. It's a portion that really in the heart of it, we read about the fact that Jesus was troubled in the spirit, in his spirit. And so I'd like us really, as we read this portion together to <clears throat> just have in our thoughts and minds as we think about it, that this was a troubling time. This is a follow-on from the lovely picture that we read about last week of the Lord washing the feet of his disciples, washing those that he loved. He stood up and he expressed his love in that beautiful way of washing their feet and then explaining to them the need not to be washed all over because they were already, except one, and it was just their feet that needed washing. And so we start in verse 18. In some Bibles, you might say that however is the, begin the beginning of that. In the NIV, it doesn't have that, but it says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at him, at, stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread, which I have dipped in it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him but no one at the meal understood why. Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charged of the, was in charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him to buy what he was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. 
my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I come now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. As I say, this starting of this section in verse 18 links into him realizing or declaring to his disciples rather that he was, there was somebody amongst them who was not one of them. You know, the Lord, the Lord Jesus chose 12 disciples. And actually, we read back in, uh, in John, John chapter, uh, where is it now? John chapter 6, I think. It's um, where it says that he had chosen Judas as one of the 12, but he was a devil. It's very sobering thought, really, to think that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He knew the end from the beginning. And despite that, he chose 12 men and he chose one whom he knew was a devil amongst them. You read in this chapter in verse 2, or we read last week, that it says that Satan prompted Judas. Judas was someone who was allowing Satan into his life. He allowed that. And when we get to verse 18, we read at the beginning, it says that he lifted up his heel against me. That's a quotation from Psalm 41 in verse 9. It's an experience, a Psalm of David. And like a lot of messianic Psalms, they're pictures of the experience of the Psalmist, in this case, David. And from that experience, then a revelation is given to David, a prophetic messianic revelation. And from that, I believe that David, in this case, when reflecting on his own experiences, was also given an insight into what would be the experiences of his offspring who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We can, we've talked about this before, and you meditate on these things, and there's many psalms like it where you muse and you think, well, David or the psalmist never surely experienced that sort of thing. That was unique to Christ. This was a, a situation where 
David had experienced um, uh, a counsellor that he had, a, a man called Ahithophel, which you can read about in 2 Samuel 15. He was a counsellor. He was somebody who was close to David. And when the, um, his son Absalom uh, sought to take the throne from David and to win the people over against David and to dethrone David, Ahithophel left David and, and went to be part of uh, Absalom's setup. It was a rebuke. It was um, a traitorous thing to do. And it must have hurt David very much. I'm mentioning this because it's trying to understand, of course, the thinking of the Lord Jesus here in this upper room. That although he refers to Judas as a devil, he loved him. It says that, you know, that um, he had lifted up his heel against him, but he talked about him as a trusted friend. He talked about him as somebody who had shared his bread. So that's another expression for saying, well, he's had a meal with me. He's enjoyed my company, like Ahithophel did with David. He was somebody who was a friend. He was part of the setup. He was part of the teaching. He was part of receiving the goodness of God through the person of Christ. He ate the bread, which is, as I say, could be an expression of just eating together or like the feeding of the 5,000. He was able to partake of the miraculous things of Christ. And this brought him closer, and this brought the traitor, the traitorous action of Judas, deeper to the point where it troubled the Lord Jesus. Just a little bit I want to say about <coughs> lifting up his heel against me. Um, I ended up when I was meditating, thinking about this uh, passage, I got pretty much engrossed into the thought of the heel. <laughs> what did that mean? What, like, uh, uh, it's an odd expression maybe today. Uh, it's an expression that seems, if you go right away back to the beginning of the Bible, it's actually used in Genesis 3 that um, when God was speaking to the serpent, who effectively God speaking to Satan, because Satan had entered the serpent, and he was saying that um, the offspring of uh, Eve, which again is referring to Christ, down through the lineage of humans, of um, the, uh, the lineage of, of, of humanity, we could take him down to the ultimate person of Christ. And it says that um, he will strike your head, that you will strike his heel. And I was thinking about that, and thinking just about the heel, and although this is slightly different in as much that this is Judas lifting up his heel against Christ, the thought of the striking of the heel, the heel is the furthest most part from the head of a human. <laughs> and in order to strike with the heel, you have to turn your back. And in order for 
to get the thrust to the heel. And I think it's a picture of the traitorous work of Judas. You think about it like an animal, maybe that uh, if a, 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 a like a horse or a, or a cattle, if they are striking, then they turn their back to you and then kick you with their back feet <laughs> and their heel. That is a a picture again of the work of Satan. It's treacherous. He attacks from behind and he attacks the heel. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus' attack to Satan, it's full frontal because he goes for the head. And when I just thought about Judas and, and lifting his heel against me, it's this picture really of him turning his back and just being treacherous and striking with the heel. Anyway, I'll leave that with, I don't want to spend too much more time on that because it's just the th some thoughts I was having on the heel. I'll leave it with you to <laughs> meditate on more if you wish. You know that he was a trusted friend. And I just wanted also just to, if you're if, for your notes, if you're taking any, is to go to 2 Timothy 2 and 19, which I'll just quickly read. <clears throat> I should have had this ready. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. I thought of this verse really because it seemed to fit in with this particular experience going on in the life of the Lord that when he said that he was not talking to all of them but despite Satan manipulating Judas and eventually entering him it said nevertheless God's solid foundation stands firm sealed with what that the Lord knows those who are his we can get satisfaction. And whilst reading about Judas sometimes can be nerve-wracking and shaking a bit as to how this could happen, the Lord knows those who are his, and he knew Judas was a devil from the beginning. The warning about it is that Judas had a privileged position. He was given every opportunity and despite the Lord knowing the end from the beginning, that he was sat at the feet of Christ. He heard the teaching, he saw the miracles. And even up to this stage, the Lord gave him every opportunity that when he talked about the offering of the sop or the, the morsel that he was going to dip and hand to Judas. And Judas, was given the opportunity at that time that he could have bowed out. I think um, it seems horrendous that you try and look at that and you think, how could a man like Judas have 
turned away at that stage. He even, you read elsewhere, that he actually went to the Lord and asked him, Lord, is it I? Knowing full well it was him. That's how far away he was, and that's how evil he was. And at that point, you then see the Lord, oh, I was going to say give up on him. I suppose that's probably the expression I would use. And he said, you know, what you're going to do, do it quickly. You've made your choice. You've had every opportunity. And although the Lord, God of heaven, knows the end from the beginning, and the in our eyes, in mankind's eyes, he can see that the Lord gave him all the opportunities. And we've, we know people like that in life. And it can be a warning to us that there are those who are even amongst us that we wonder about that are brought up and they know the word of God and they're fed on the word of God and they turn away from it. But the interesting bit here is the way that the Lord dismisses him. He dismisses Satan. And it's again, it just shows you the power of the man, the power of God in that his will would be fulfilled. Do what you're going to do and do it quickly. And Judas got up and did it and went out. He responded to the command. He responded to what the Lord said. And again, you know, we're, we're looking at the war going on between Satan and God. The will of God never gets deviated one inch. His will will be fulfilled, and it would be done through him who lifted up his heel against him, because that was the preordinate counsel of God that was foretold years before that this was going to happen, and it was going to happen exactly as God had planned. And what was the ultimate was the salvation of mankind. And that was not going to be deterred, not by Satan or anybody who he uses. So Satan indwelt Judas, but Judas still responds to the command of Christ. Go out and do what you like. And effectively saying to you, I'm not frightened of you, but I'm ready for you. The troubling of the spirit of Christ I mentioned at the beginning. Again, it's just something that I think it's something we meditate on is to try and the humanity of Christ is there. We read about it when he was by the tomb in Lazarus, that he was troubled and he wept. He's again, he's troubled. When you will read about him going into Gethsemane, he was troubled. And that's the human aspect coming out. The, the, what was happening here was horrendous. A friend that he loved was going out to betray him. And another man in his group was going to deny him. He was going to go to the cross and he's going to look around and all he was going to see was enemies. There was no one to help him. He was going to cry out to his father who had turned his back on him. And is it any wonder he was troubled? This was the beginning of the end. And this was the building up of it. And it was, he was troubled in spirit. He was deeply concerned. 
And we need to enter into that because he was doing that for us. To appreciate that and to love him more deeply for that. And cry out, thank you. This is what he's asking us. And to appreciate that he was doing this for us. You know, the Lord Jesus, when he took the bread and he dipped it in the wine and he gave it to Judas, I wonder there, you know, where he was handing out as he had, would talk about the bread being his body and the wine being his blood, whether there was a significance there for us to consider that he offers it to Judas, that he'd come to give himself. He offered it. Judas took it. How hypocritical was that? The story or the, the lifting up of the heel about Ahithophel, Ahithophel ended up hanging himself. Ironical. So did Judas when he realized what he'd done to go learn about that later and despite again the Lord knowing all of that again the troubled spirit there was one that he'd lost that had been given him by his father and uh, he went out to betray him a lost soul just um, realizing the time um, just to, to, to go on that Jesus after he'd commanded uh, Judas and Judas obeyed, then it says, you know, it talks about glorification. And this takes us now into the realms that once this betrayal had been put into practice uh, by Judas and he'd gone, it was as if, right, this is the, the ball's rolling now. <laughs> uh, things are now going to be happening. And so it says, uh, in verse 31, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. How can that be? This is the will of God. This is the plan of God. This is the redemption uh, plan of mankind starting to get into play. And he sees that he's been glorified. And his father is glorified in his actions. He talks about the fact that he was only going to be with them for a little while. And where you, I'm going, you cannot come. There's two ways of looking at that. I think I've said this before to some of you might recall where my thoughts about what was he talking about? Was he talking about going to heaven? I think he was talking about going into death. I think he was talking about going into the horrors of God's punishment for sin, that he was going to bear sin, and he was going somewhere that nobody else could go, because nobody else was sinless. Nobody else could possibly have done what Christ did. He was the only one to present himself to his father as a sinless one, the sinless son of man who could offer himself as a sacrifice for others. He was going where no, could, nobody else could come. Peter jumps in, ah, I can come. 
<laughs> Typical Peter. The right thoughts, maybe, but no understanding. Didn't appreciate, wanted to be involved. And of course, very soon, as the Lord pointed out to him, his weakness, his inability, his lack of strength was going to come to the fore and he would fail miserably as any one of us would have in the similar circumstances. None of us were able to go and do what Christ has done. He was strong. He was powerful. He was the only one. And so we bow the knee in worship. Blessed be his name. Peter, you're not worthy. But then neither am I and neither are you. It could only be Christ. He was pointing as to the only one who is able as to recognize again, to see our own weakness and to look at this passage and just to be thinking here, he is glorified. Nobody else can follow him. Where I go, you cannot come. Not yet. But what he was also pointing to, he was also going to heaven and he'll come again and he'll receive us unto himself and we will be able to enter in. We can enter in, to, in a sense, to the crucifixion of Christ because we are in Christ and we are crucified with him. But he had to go before. He had to open up the way. And it's only in him that we can get any understanding and appreciation of what he's done. And it's only in him, if we think of heaven and the future, that in him we will enjoy eternity. He goes to prepare a place for us and we're going to be with him forever. Blessed be his name.